Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 136 called Michelle L. So before we get started, I just want to remind you guys that Fertility Rally Live is happening on October 23rd. It's an all-day virtual event that empowers you, educates you. We have two keynote speakers. We have Jacqueline Mish from Survivor and we have Camille Guadique, who is an amazing actress. You might know from The Rookie and various other TV shows. They're both going to do separate keynotes and talk about their fertility journeys. We have two panels. We have 16 breakout sessions. We have giveaways all day, lots of interactive chat, lots of great empowerment and celebration and just sisterhood. So definitely check it out. If you want to get tickets, you can go to the link in our bio at Fertility Rally on Instagram or the link in my bio at Infertile Stories on Instagram. So it's on the 23rd. And the best part is that even if you can't make it live, you can still watch everything for 30 days afterwards. So all ticket holders have access to the event for 30 days. You can dip back in and out and watch whatever you want when you want to watch it, or you can repeat stuff. It's that good. So we really hope to see you guys there. We've been working really hard on it and gathering the best people to come together. And it's just going to be an awesome day. So hope to see you at Fertility Rally Live. Thanks. Okay. I want to tell you about my guest today, Michelle. She is an incredible woman. And she went through IVF in the 90s. So she's going to talk about what she went through then and how much things have changed between then and now. Not a lot of people were talking about it back then. And spoiler alert, she does have a son now. And she wrote to me in an email that the triumphant embryo starts college in September. So he's in college now. And it's just really great to hear everything that she went through and you know just how this community and how this medical field has changed in the last 20 years. Michelle now works for Donor Concierge and Tulip, and she's going to talk about that too. So she is in third-party reproduction, and it is just a great story. So without further ado, this is Michelle's infertility story. Michelle, thank you so much for doing this today. I'm really excited to talk to you. I'm excited to be here, Allie. Thank you so much. So we're just going to kind of dive right into it. And the first sentence of what I wrote, you said, at 31, I was diagnosed with premature ovarian failure and that my best chance of achieving a pregnancy was to go straight to donor eggs. So let's start there. What? Okay. <laughs> how did you get there? I know you, you and your husband had been trying for about a year, right? And then you got to yeah. that point. Yeah. So yeah, we'd been trying and, you know, I felt like I was young. I was living in the UK and I had an exciting career in television and it's like, okay, things are, you know, moving along. This is my life next. Let's go for the baby. Mm -hmm. And, um, things weren't working. So we thought, okay, well, let's, let's go and get things checked out. So I was expecting them to say, my husband's a little bit older than me, not a huge amount, but a few Mm -hmm. years. And I thought, okay, well, They'll say, and I'd been working a lot too. So I, I was expecting, meaning I was maybe a little bit stressed and, you know, maybe not taking care of myself. So I was expecting the doctor just to say, oh, everything's great. You know, this is what you need to do. Mm-hmm. So I remember so clearly sitting in her, her office and she's just, that's what she said to me. She said, 
well, your FSH is really high. There's nothing you can do about it. You might as well skip IUI or IVF and go straight to donor eggs. And I just, I was just totally floored. Yeah. I feel like you would have been like gobsmacked, right? Like what? It just came out of the blue. And it, it sure did. I mean, I, again, you know, at 31, I, first of all, hadn't really thought about my fertility, mm-hmm. didn't think I would have a problem and had never heard of donor eggs. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So to, to be told this, and I think maybe, and it's funny because I've actually talked to my doctor since, and I relayed this story of her bluntness and I was angry for a really long time about that. Interesting. What and did she say? She said, I couldn't give you false hope. And I have to say now Okay. So this is over 20 years later. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) And I look back and I think she was absolutely right. Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't have, I think that if somebody had said, well, you can keep trying, I would have had, I think I would have had false hope. And I I think she was right in being blunt. It's, it was a hard realization to come to, but I'm really appreciative of her now looking back. Was your husband with you at the time or was it just you in the doctor's office? He was with me at the time. We had both taken a couple of hours off work to go to this appointment. And after we'd had blood tests and investigations, and actually I hadn't had any investigations. I'd only had the blood tests mm-hmm. and we both just looked at each other. And then we, wa- I remember walking out of the, it was the hosp- a hospital setting and looked at each other and goes, well, I got to go back to work. And mm-hmm. I walked out and I, I happened to run into some of his friends and I just burst into tears when I saw them. Yeah. Um, but oh my it's, gosh. it's, it's just interesting that that day just is seared in my mind. Oh, totally. It's like those pivotal moments of your life are just, will never be forgotten. Did you know what FSH even was and what like premature ovarian failure was? I, Have you heard of that? I had no understanding of what FSH or premature ovarian failure. I'd never heard of any of those things. Mm-hmm. I didn't know any friends who'd had IVF. So and also in those days, because this we're talking in in the late nineties, mm-hmm. I there weren't there weren't the online forums, and there was one actually, but there wasn't a lot of talk about this stuff. Nobody right. got together and discussed their IVF. There wasn't blog. There weren't bloggers. There was there was really no support. And Completely. Even when I went through this like eight years ago, eight nine years ago, I, I felt like there was nothing. So I can't even imagine twenty years ago how much of a lack of resources there were. So what did you do? Like, where did you turn for research and support? <laughs> well, I turned to an online forum I found. I think it was called Fertile Thoughts. I don't even know if it's still going, but it was... Okay. It was I the was, OG, Fertile Thoughts. We'll have yeah, to see if it's still around. I think it is. Um, I think it's gone through a couple of different incarnations, but honestly, it was it was an amazing resource for me because I could actually find people who were going through the same thing. And I got to learn all the all the lingo like TTC mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. two, two week wait and right. and all these things that I could actually find out information. And I was a journalist at the time. So I could find out information about what, I, what it was I was going through. I think in some ways I maybe dig too deep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I sort of took what that doctor said to me and said, well, screw you. I don't, I don't believe anything you're saying. And really? I'm going to, I am going to do this. <laughs> on my own without donor eggs. Interesting. Okay. So what was your, was it just the lack of not knowing what, you know, the donor egg situation, or was it that you didn't want to not have genetic, your genetics involved or like, what was the resistance? 
I think the re- the resistance was I hadn't even been given a chance to try. Mm. You know, her suggestion of just going straight to donor egg was was something I'd never even thought about because here I was planning this child that I was going to have from my genetics with my husband. And so I think in some ways that sort of gave me a big push to say, okay, I'm going to do everything I can to make, to do, uh, you know, to use my genetics. Right. Okay. Another thing that you wrote that I thought was interesting, you said you were told that you were in perimenopause and you said, all I heard was menopause. I'd never heard of (laughs) peri anything. And I love that you say that because I'm the same way. Like even with the acronyms that you were just talking about, like I've never heard of any of this stuff. I had secondary infertility. I had never heard of that. I didn't even know that was a thing. Right. And I look back now of all the things that I know now and I wish I'd known then but mm-hmm. perimenopause I didn't know it lasts for 10 to 15 years I mm-hmm. like I said I just heard menopause so I think what it was was I didn't get the context of how this all fit together so FSH you know my FSH was 19 and mm-hmm. to me I'm like well I'm going to do something I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to eat well and I'm going to stop drinking coffee and I'm never going to have touch a glass of alcohol again and and as she said and she's right FSH is a, is a really good indicator of your ovarian reserve and you can't mm-hmm. really do much to change it. Mm-hmm. I, I still don't know if, if there's anything else I could do, but my FSH never went below, I think 12, mm-hmm. which, you know, in a, in a med- medical setting that is, she did the right thing by advising, you know, giving me the advice of using donor eggs. But in the end, I didn't actually use donor eggs, mm-hmm. um, but I did go through many rounds of IVF. Right. So yeah, let's talk about that. So you, when the doctor gave you that diagnosis and then you were like, screw you, I'm going to try to do this on my own. What happened? You you said you started with an IUI. I started with an IUI, which mm-hmm. got nothing. <laughs> and so what was it? What was that like 20 years ago? Like, do you know if that's changed a lot with the IUI? Yeah. Like, have you talked to anybody who's done one recently and like compared notes or anything? I'm just curious. Cause I feel like this um, is such a quick moving yeah, field of you know, medicine and the the technology, the breakthroughs are are so like fast and furious. It seems mm-hmm. like I don't think anything was different. I don't think we had much hope going into it, but they actually wouldn't do an IVF until we did an IUI that mm-hmm. failed. So okay. that was like there was protocols in place that we couldn't progress to the next stage until we did this, and we were self paying for everything. So mm-hmm. it was kind of like a big waste of money, but. On the other hand, you know, I ca- I just kept thinking, well, you never know. You, you never, never know. know. Exactly. So I feel that way about, it. I mean, I know people who have had successful IUIs and, you know, so you never know. Right. Right. But it didn't work. And I, I kind of knew at the back of my mind that it wouldn't. So then we were kind of freed from that. What if to move on to IVF, mm-hmm. um, which was, you know, <laughs> as a, as a whole nother experience. Mm-hmm. So were you with the doctor who gave you the diagnosis or was she like an OBGYN and she referred you to an RE or was she an RE or she was an RE. Okay. Yeah. So she and... was all, we'd already progressed to, you know, fertility specialist. Okay. So did point. you stick with her? Or did you go somewhere else? I did stick with her. Yes. Okay. I, I, I kind of, despite her being blunt, I still felt, I still had a lot of confidence in her and her team. So mm-hmm. I, I didn't have the wherewithal to kind of start researching other clinics or anything like that. And I thought, okay, I'm going to just, she's a specialist. I'm going to trust her. Mm-hmm. So even though she had advised to do donor eggs, she would do whatever you wanted to do. Like you have the choice, right? Yeah. I mean, I think she understood that I wasn't 
mentally prepared mm-hmm. to accept donor eggs. So, and and now now because I work in third party fertility, I understand that you have to go through that IVF. You have to go through those things and and get to a point where you accept of acceptance. Yeah, that's um, interesting. Yeah. And I, I really understand that now because I can tell like if I, so I work with a company that helps people find egg donors and surrogates. And I can tell immediately if somebody's not ready for this point, because they're still hanging on. If you're hanging on to your genetics, it's going to be a, a really hard transition to accepting the, the possibility of, of having a child, a different possibility. So mm-hmm. having a donor conception. Yeah. I would love to unpack that a little bit more as we, as your story goes on. So let's put a pin in that thought, but we'll circle back to that. So tell me what, what happened with you guys next. So you started with IUI failed, then IVF. Yep. Then we went on to IVF. And in those days they did, uh, they only did three day embryos. So Mm -hmm. I didn't have any, no sort of PGT or anything like that. I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't know anything about any kind of, I didn't, I don't even know if it was possible back then to do PGS or PGT. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so yeah, first IVF, we're all excited. We tell everybody and, you know, I did all my drugs. I can remember <laughs> actually taking my husband's sperm in a, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta back up here. We all right, paint have this, this picture. <laughs> okay. Paint this picture of sperm analysis and we're told it has to be, you know, either has to come in or you can do your business at home. So we're like, okay, let's do the business at home and uh-huh. I'll take it in because he had to go somewhere. And I, I got the jar and I put it down my shorts and I jumped on my bike and I rode through London traffic to get to the hospital. And I, oh I remember God. laughing to myself and like shouting, like, get out of the way. I've got my future children down my pants. You know? <laughs> And uh, awesome. I, I remember I raced up and I just plunked it down on the nurse's station. And go, there you go. And they just looked at me like, okay, thanks. <laughs> You're like, nailed it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I nailed God. it. Here you go. So uh, that was one funny incident. And that's then, great. And then we started doing the IVF and I, I was pretty good about, you know, making sure I did all my shots. And I just remember being in a pub and doing my shots in the bathroom and just, mm-hmm. it becomes, it becomes like a normal part of your life, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. all the shots. <laughs> oh yeah. There's so many good stories of people doing shots and like crazy yeah. places. Yeah. So yeah. And that one failed and I probably could reach back into my memory and know every, how many eggs I got and how many fertilized and how many didn't work. But I, mm-hmm. I think I had some embryos left over for a frozen em- embryo transfer and mm-hmm. that one didn't work either. So then, okay. yeah. So then we went on to round two. Okay. Um, Round two, actually, again, it's so weird to me that these memories, like it was 20 years ago and I still have exact memories of the phone call I got when I'm in the park from the embryologist just yeah. saying, you only got two eggs. Yeah. And, and, or I think I got eight eggs and only two fertilized and yeah. they're not very good. You know, uh. it was like, you know, the, it, it was, it, it, so we went into the second transfer or maybe it was the third transfer, but without mm-hmm without any hope really, to be mm-hmm. honest. And then, and then I think I must've, I've got to backtrack here a little bit because sure, we, again, getting those phone calls from people all the time who knew your story, like friends and family saying, well, are you pregnant? Are you pregnant? Mm-hmm. It was this progression of time where every IVF I did, I told fewer and fewer people. Yes. That makes so much sense. Yeah. I think that the 
the pressure. I just remember feeling this pressure of this disappointment. I was letting so many people down. Mm-hmm. I want, you know, my, my mother-in-law wanted a grandchild, my parents, you know, my friends, like, and I started to think it wasn't about me. It was about everybody else. And it, mm. it became kind of, um, I felt sort of really out of control at one point. I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, so did you feel like you were on like a hamster wheel at a certain point where it was just like, you're like doing the retrieval, doing the transfer, doing the retrieval, doing the transfer? I, like, yeah, I actually, I kept trying different things that, you know, I kept looking back and thinking, okay, well, I had a cup of coffee on, on the third day. That was probably why, I, why it didn't work. Oh, yeah. Or I should have done this. Or So every time, you know, I was in a high kind of high pressure job and I kept thinking, okay, I'm going to just take some time off. So, so right. I, would take, I would take six months off before the next IVF cycle. Mm-hmm. And n- honestly, nothing made a difference. Right. How <laughs> was it? How was it going with your husband? Like, how was he feeling through all of this? You know, he was amazing. He was very supportive. It was, it was hard because of course there's that dynamic of, well, whose fault is it? You know, mm-hmm. and he mm-hmm. never, he never, he never brought that up with, mm-hmm. we were in it together. Mm-hmm. And I think it really strengthened our relationship. You know, I think we both wanted it. We didn't really talk about how much we wanted it, but we both wanted it. And we were both equally as disappointed when it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that makes sense. But, you know, he, he wasn't somebody who wanted, I didn't want him to do my shots or, or anything like that. He did come to the retrievals, obviously. Uh huh. Actually, he came to the first or maybe the second, but not the third retrieval. <laughs> that's a whole, okay. That's the next part of the story. <laughs> okay. All right. So, but you guys are still pretty young at this point, right? Like mid thirties, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. So, so you're trying all these things. One of the other things you wrote about that I want to ask you is you had a psychic surgery. <laughs> yeah. So I was probably two and a half years into IVF treatment by this point. And I tried, you know, take all these, all the advice from all your friends. So it's like, oh, you have to visualize your baby. Mm -hmm. You have to take this. I'd been to, I was going to acupuncture once a week. I was having massage therapy, you know, Mm -hmm. all these different things. I went Mm -hmm. to a special like mineral woman who studies your minerals. And I was taking all these different like micro mineral Mm -hmm. nutrients, things Mm -hmm. like that, which so I was trying, I don't want to say I was obsessed with trying everything, but I did have the old, uh, you know, crystals next to the bed and sure. fertility symbols, all the things that you think, well, why not? You know, yeah, give it I a think try. so many of us have been there. Exactly. Of course. And so I, a friend and I, some friends and I, we went to Glastonbury, which is in, in the Southwest of England, mm-hmm. supposed to be a very spiritual place. And we stayed in a, in a, we went for a weekend kind of retreat where, I was kind of happy and, you know, relaxed, glad to be out of the, out of the city and mm-hmm. um, stayed at a, with a, with a couple called Isis and Argon. Of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> it sounds perfect. And so their, their prescription for the weekend for us was to do some psychic surgery. And I had just had a massage and I remember laying on the, on the bed and we were all kind of giggling and laughing because it felt really kind of slightly ridiculous, but I'm, I'm kind of into that stuff. So I was like, sure. okay, good, let's, let's do it. Not what? you know, why not? And then I, I had this immediate strange reaction of the hands kind of being held over top of me, not even touching me. And I had this strange, and I absolutely burst into tears and 
felt this kind of release. I, I can't explain it. I, Whoa. I'm a believer, but I'm also a skeptic at the same time. Same. So. Yes. What did they, what happened? What did they do? I don't know what he did, but it just like, they kind of go into past lives and I won't it's a little bit graphic, but um, yeah. I, you know, I've learned, I can't pinpoint one thing that helped that made it work, mm-hmm. but going there and maybe just releasing some emotions was a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sometimes it's like an energy block or something like yeah. that, that just t- helps to move, move that energy around and who's to say exactly. There's no way to tell exactly one thing, but I feel like with all of this stuff, if it makes you feel better and if it makes you less stressed and gives you a little hope, if you need it, then I say, why not? Yeah. I mean, exactly. I would have tried everything. I would have, I've, <laughs> I've said before, like if someone was like, you have to wake up at three thirty-three in the morning and stand in the middle of the highway on one foot, eating a banana, like wearing a monkey suit, I would have <laughs> been like done. Where's the monkey suit? Like, let's go. I agree. But I also think you have to be careful because it puts the, I don't want to say it's not blame, but it's, it's easy to blame yourself for not mm. accepting these, these paths it's, or these things that you should do in order to make it work. Totally. Um, I, I think I I've learned that I don't, you know, I don't want to say to people, well, you have to visualize your baby. Well, that's not hard. That's not easy to do when somebody says you're not going to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. There's there's a point where you, uh, I I got to a point where I just actually moved on. Mm-hmm. I have to say our final IVF cycle. I think we'd had a couple of you know frozen embryo transfers, three or four IVFs, or the IUI, mm-hmm. and we were both. We were honestly we were both done, and yeah. we actually thought, you know, our life is good no matter what happens, and if we don't have a child, then we're going to be okay. And mm-hmm. I, it was it was a really um, and we hadn't told anybody we were having another our final IVF. We'd kind of run out of money. Mm-hmm. My husband actually wasn't even in. He was working in Ireland at the time. So when when he had to deposit, give his his contribution, I didn't even see him that day. I had to go in to do the egg retrieval. Oh, I hadn't wow. seen him for two weeks. Amazing. He flew, he flew in, went to the clinic, did his business, and left. And then no I went way. In. Oh yeah. my god. So we were like, okay, see ya. Let's the fingers right. crossed. Right. Right. Wow. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, um, so yeah, we, we sort of just didn't tell a soul that we were doing another treatment and, and we moved on mm-hmm. at that point. And, mm-hmm. and I think, again, I, I might have my, my facts mixed up, but then that, yeah, that cycle didn't work. And then we did a frozen embryo transfer. And then at that point we were, and that was like five months later, mm-hmm. we were just like, we did, I don't think we even told anybody that, that we were trying again. And okay. it was, so do you remember like the numbers just out of care, like how many, of course. how many retrievals you did? Like what of was the, the tally of what you went through? Your uh, fertility one, resume, as it were. Yes. I, uh, one IUI, mm-hmm. three IVFs mm-hmm. must've been two frozen embryo transfers because mm-hmm. right. Cause the second IVF, we didn't get enough embryos to freeze. So it was the final IVF. Uh, I had it in December. I remember we, didn't work. We moved on. We were like, okay, we're done. And we're like, oh, we've got five embryos left. What are we going to do? Because mm-hmm. we were both like, oh, we just kind of decided, okay, it's not going to work, whatever. Mm-hmm. And again, as I said, they did three-day embryos then. So right. 
when they finally gave us the option, you know, I was kind of prepared five months later. I thought, okay, well, let's do this frozen. Let's just get this over with. I just need to move on with my life. And so they gave me the option. They said, you know, you can, we can thaw all five and pick the best three. And, but the other two, we're going to have to expire, let expire, mm-hmm. or we can just pick some and hope it works. And then if you have some left over, we'll do it again. And we both looked at each other and we said, you know what, let's just go for it. Mm-hmm. If it's, if it's not meant to be, we'll just, we'll just move on. So mm-hmm. again, I think they couldn't refreeze the embryos in those days. Okay. Yep. So they chose three embryos. They put them all back in. So they put three inside of you. They put three. Yep. That was kind of the norm then to put at least two or three. They didn't know that single embryo transfer was actually a better, better outcome. So interesting. Like we were saying how, how much things change. Yeah. Okay. I think I must've had like, I I think I had thin lining or some, I don't know, even remember what the problem was. Oh, Mm -hmm. I know the last thing they did too on this was the only time they did assisted hatching. Because I had mm. to have had three failed IVF cycles before they would do that. Okay. So, you know, again, I look back and I think, had they done the assisted hatching on the first one, I might have had four, four or five kids by now. Wow. <laughs> so what um, does that entail? Assisted hatching is when they actually put a little hole in the embryo, in the shell. Mm-hmm. That's what I've learned. I'm not probably not explaining it correctly. Okay. Yeah. I should say this is not a medical podcast. This is just friends talking. They they explained that the embryo wasn't multiplying. So it wasn't breaking Mm -hmm. out for whatever reason. So Mm -hmm. this helps the embryo to, to divide and conquer. Okay. So Um, cool that they can do that. So, so yeah. So I, one day, uh, a couple weeks after my transfer, my husband was in Australia working so he wasn't even around. I always mm-hmm. like to say he did, wasn't even there when I got pregnant. It's um, <laughs> a good line. I walked across the road and I thought, oh, I feel funny. Like, I feel weird. I feel like I got this weird taste in my mouth and I feel all dizzy. And so I thought, ah, there's no way. It's There's no way. There's no way. So I did the pregnancy test and it was, it was, I saw the line and I'm like, yeah. holy crap. How many days after the transfer? I think it must've been like 11. Okay. maybe 11 days. And I remember I called him in Australia and I woke him up and he goes, what? He's a very dry British, British Mm -hmm. humor. Mm -hmm. He goes, did you, did you wake me up for that? I went, (laughs) yeah, I woke you up for that. Of course I did. (laughs) He's like, oh, okay, great. Okay. Good night. I'm going back to sleep. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) But that was pretty, that was pretty, um, you know, I, I sort of thought, okay, I, I did it. We did it. I couldn't believe it. It was still, it was still too good to be true, you know? And I think that's a lot. I, I hear that a lot from people and I, and I got to admit, I still feel like that sometimes. I just sent my son to college. I, I love it. And you're in the thing yeah. you wrote, you said the triumphant embryo starts college in September. Yeah, um, exactly. Another great line. You must be a writer. Maybe. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, okay. So wait, you got the, you got the line. Did you have to go, did you go in for a beta test or like, what was the process back then? You know what? I don't think so. Okay. I can't, I can't remember that far back now. Yeah. That's, okay. that's when it all becomes a blur because I kind of moved on from IVF and I sure. moved into a different kind of mode of thinking, but I don't think we did a beta test, but okay. I really don't know. <laughs> did you have the anxiety of pregnancy after loss where it was like, you um, felt nervous or did you feel once you saw the line, you felt okay. And like, it was going to work out. Do you know what? I'm going to be honest. Mm-hmm. I think that that anxiety 
has stayed with me even till now. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't say that lightly because I think the first few years of, of course, the pregnancy, it never felt quite real. It was mm-hmm. hard to accept that this was actually, I, I'm going to be part of that club. Mm-hmm. I think I always in the back of my mind thought something's going to happen. It's not gonna, something terrible is going to go wrong. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't, don't mean that I'm a fatalist in that way, but I guess I wanted to prepare myself for disappointment. Mm-hmm. So, and not, so I, I didn't, I didn't go through my, pre- I had a great pregnancy. Mm-hmm. I didn't go through my pregnancy thinking in a negative way, but I think always in the back of my mind, I kept thinking this is too good to be true and something's yes. going to happen. And, and I hate to say it, but it's, it's actually carried through into parenting too. And I think it's only now I'm like, I have just breathed a sigh of relief this weekend, getting my son off to college. Thinking, wow. I did it. I did it. Right. Does he, he know, does he know the story? He knows the story. He Mm -hmm. started asking about where babies came from when he was about four. And I explained it to him and he, and I explained how we had a little help and, and, and then now he he got so bored of the story. He says, Oh, stop talking about it. Right. (laughs) Right. I know. I'm curious to see my son is five and a half now. So he's, he doesn't quite, you know, we haven't talked about that at all, but I'm curious to see what it'll be like when he's older, when he knows that he was an IVF baby, not that it's it's probably going to be very common. I'm sure there's so many at his school even right now, you know, like, so I wonder what his take will be though. Yeah. And I can't, I can't even bring it up now, but I did actually write, I kept a diary from while, when I started IVF treatment. So I have a lot of my thoughts written down of the disappointments and the, Mm. you know, the, the triumphs and, and, and during the pregnancy too. And, And then I've tried to keep it up as he's grown older. So I will be giving that to him when he, when he's not embarrassed by me. Oh, that's cool. That's yeah. really cool. I thought you were going to yeah. say you're going to publish it, but should do both. <laughs> oh, maybe. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So then you had your son and, yes. and, and he is what, 19 now or 18? 18. He's 18. 18. Okay. Yeah. So tell me how you transitioned into this third-party fertility world. Sure. So I was working as a television producer in the UK mm-hmm. and I moved our, we moved our family over here to the U S uh, for my husband's work and for other reasons, but we, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do TV anymore because it just wasn't conducive to my, my work or sorry, to my family life. Mm-hmm. And I kind of thought, you know what I've done, I've spent so much time and money getting this guy, little guy in my life. I'm going to spend some time with him. Oh, so I was very I lucky that. that I spent a lot of time at home with him. I did do mm-hmm. a little bit of work and before that, but so when we moved to the U S I was like, okay, so I need a job. Uh, I got some little jobs and mm-hmm. so what am I going to do? So I, I answered a, an ad in Craigslist one day I, I was actually working for a I actually quit a job for the first time in my life because it was really not fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Never done that before. And I thought, that's it. I'm going to get a job that's meaningful, that's near my house, and that's flexible so that I can, I can, it's family friendly. So mm-hmm. I opened that, I opened up Craigslist and I saw a job for a case manager at a fertility company and it was in my town. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do that. Wow. <laughs> and I actually so cool. remember, yep. And I remember writing out the, uh, the cover letter. And then I had an interview with donor concierge with the, the founders. And, mm-hmm. and that was almost eight and a half years ago. Did you say in your cover letter, what you had been through? I did to a certain yeah, degree. I did. I thought, you know what, you got to bear your soul sometimes. So yeah. I said, you know, I think the requirements for the job were 
being good with people and liking pets because <laughs> they had a lot of pets. Uh-huh. So I'm like, yeah, I can, I can do that. Uh-huh. And you're like, um, and as a bonus, guess what? <laughs> right. So, so I got introduced to the world of, of donor conception and third-party fertility, yeah. um, which I really, and especially in the U S is a completely different approach than, than other countries. Mm-hmm. It's much more of a business here and there's agencies and there's, you know, fertility. It's, it's, it's a fertility clinics that are bigger and they have in-house donor programs and mm-hmm. their surrogacy is legal here. And so I learned a lot from, from Gail Sexton Anderson, who's the founder of donor concierge. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we just, you know, I kind of think, think, well, the rest is history. I, I, I worked with, with fertility people who are looking for donors. I got to know, you know, I, I understood where at the point that they were at and I, I didn't use a donor in the end, but mm-hmm. I know what they were. I felt like I knew what they were going through. Isn't it so interesting though, Michelle, that your initial diagnosis was donor eggs and now look what you're doing. It's like a full yeah. circle. I know, I'm sure I'm not the first person to point that out, but I think that's just so cool yeah. and interesting. It It is. And I, had I known then what I know now, it's like, oh, that's why that happened. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I can reflect back and think, okay, you know, I always, I'm a big believer in things happening for a reason. And, Same. And, and I think that's, I think that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I got into a field of, of, of and, a, and a, a group of professionals, like, and I have to say, not just in our company, but all the agencies, all the fertility clinics, everybody's so passionate about this. And mm-hmm. really, you know, we all work together. It's the only, I think it's the only industry I've, I've ever worked in that, that, everybody's friends on Facebook and we actually, you know, we check in with each other, even if we're we're competitors. Totally. Um, Yes. I agree. I agree. There's so many people that have gone through it and then it's become their job, like with you and with me and Blair, my co-founder of Fertility Rally. And I never thought I would be in this industry either, like, but here I am. So tell me a little bit more before we wrap up about donor concierge, what you guys do and Tulip as well. And then I would love for you to tell everybody where to find you guys and how to get more info. Yeah. So donor concierge is a fertility, third-party fertility concierge company. Um, We help clients from all over the world and from all backgrounds. So whatever your family situation, we're here to help, to help Mm -hmm. people kind of get through this journey. So when they either maybe they're a same-sex couple and they're looking for a donor and a surrogate. We're, we have partnerships with all the different agencies out there, all the sperm cryobanks, all the donor agencies, all mm-hmm. the fertility clinics, mental health. We're kind of your, we're kind of your, um, your fixer basically. So mm-hmm. we help you get it done and mm-hmm. get it done pretty efficiently and avoiding the problems that you might encounter if you were trying to do it on your own. So mm-hmm. um, we're able to find people a donor and understand and help them to understand the process. So mm-hmm. it's a lot about educating our intended parents about how it works, how this industry works. And I, I don't like to use the word industry because I feel like it's a field. Right. Um, you know, that community. There's a, <laughs> right. This, but there is a lot of, you know, people are very, they've already spent a lot of money and I think they're in a position of real vulnerability. So I feel sure. like we're here to be their friend, you know, for this period of time. To help yeah. I think that's so important because it is such an overwhelming process and it's so daunting. And with so many of these things, you're like, I don't even know where to, where to begin. So right. you guys have done so much of the legwork already and you can, you know, right. hold their hands and walk them through it and talk them through it. And I think yep. it's really, really cool. 
And we can help them have realistic expectations too. You know, mm-hmm. I think that when you're looking for a donor, you're basically looking for yourself and yourself, you know, there's no such thing as a donor who's exactly like you. Everybody's a unique individual. And I think that people don't always realize there's a very small percentage of women out there who are okay with donating their eggs. Mm-hmm. I, I could not be a donor. Mm-hmm. I just, I wouldn't want to give up my genetics to somebody else. There's a, so many amazing women out there who are willing to do that and willing to be a surrogate too. So we also help people with finding a gestational carrier. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we do that within four weeks, which is pretty astounding because mm-hmm. a lot of eight, so if somebody was going to go to an agency, they may have to wait, you know, six to eight months. Whereas we're pooling, we're gathering appropriate candidates from, you know, nearly 70 different agencies. So we can, we can kind of make that process happen a lot quicker. Right. Okay. So tell us about Tulip too. I know you guys work kind of in tandem, right? Like we do. So Tulip that we like to say is baby of donor concierge. Okay. Tulipfertility.com is a site for, it's a family building platform and it is, we have got these wonderful partnerships with the agencies that we work with through donor concierge. They've, they've agreed to allow us to showcase their donors in one place. So we actually, through Donor Concierge, we created a database of donors through all the different agencies for our case, basically so our case managers could work more efficiently. Mm-hmm. And we always wanted to have it available to the public. So we wanted to create a space that is really welcoming, that's really transparent, so that intended parents can feel comfortable and have the support they need. Maybe they don't want to come to Donor Concierge. They want to just be at home and look for a donor on their own and feel like they're having the support online. Mm-hmm. So Tulip, you log in, you you subscribe, and you can you can look at all the donors yourself, and you can create a portfolio of your favorite donors. Uh, you can contact the agencies through the portal, through the platform, mm-hmm. and so you can determine. You know, you can ask the agencies all the questions you need to ask in order to secure somebody for you. Mm-hmm. That's so great. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. And okay. and one of the things that I really we really wanted to provide for on Tulip is. the the coaching support. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what makes us different is that we have our team from donor concierge, our experts in egg donation and surrogacy. So we can provide, we can answer all those questions really quickly and efficiently about and help guide them to the best donors online too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if they have questions about, you know, they're, maybe they're looking at a donor that might probably they're, we already know their clinic. So we already know that their clinic probably won't approve that donor. We can let them know, Hey, you know, maybe you should look at somebody who's a little bit younger or, you know, but in, in the end, it's it's an online do-it-yourself tool, basically. Right. That's really cool. Because the, yeah. there's so much of this that feels out of your control. So that almost gives like this modicum of control where you feel like you don't have any, where it's like the, it's kind of back in your own hands a little bit, but guided too. So best of both worlds. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and Tulip will be, will include surrogacy on there and uh-huh. links to other fertility professionals that people didn't know they needed, like attorneys mm-hmm. and mental health professionals, genetic counselors, things like that. So that'll be to a phase two. <laughs> so great. So before we wrap up, I'll tell everybody in the outro to where to find you again and where to find Tulip and Donor Concierge. But can you just give maybe one last piece of advice to somebody who might be listening, who is you know possibly going down the donor road? Mm-hmm. What should they know? Like, I know you've said at one point, you would do things differently now, you know, from 20 years ago, or you wish you knew then what you know now, what are some, a couple of those quick things? I think there's a real movement for people to be more transparent. And I am really happy to see in the last couple of years, other intended parents coming forward 
and talking about their journey. So I guess my advice is it may feel like you're alone, but you're really not. There's a lot of people out there who have used uh, donors, whether it's sperm donors or egg donors and surrogacy, and it's not a shameful thing. There should be no stigma attached to, to just creating your family in a different way. Our kids come to us as fully formed individuals who are maybe even if they're genetically related to us, they are their own person. They're going to be their own person, no matter how they came into your life. So I would say, you know, there's a huge group of people out there who are in this professional community who are here to help you and lean on them, lean on them for advice. They know what you're going through. All right, guys, thanks again for listening. And Michelle, thank you so much for sharing your story. Definitely check out donorconcierge.com for more info and tulipfertility.com as well. And again, Fertility Rally Live is happening on 1023. We would love for you guys to join us. I said in the intro, even if you can't make it live, all ticket holders have access to all of our talks. We have over 30 speakers. We're covering everything under the sun. There's definitely something there for you. Whether you're new to this community or you're in the midst of it, or you are a new mama or pregnant after infertility, we have all this support, all this education and empowerment and tons and tons of giveaways too. Also awesome swag bags with discounts and all this great stuff from fertility friendly and wellness brands. So we hope to see you guys there. Check it out on Instagram at Fertility Rally, or you can link to the tickets through my Instagram infertile af stories all right thank you guys for listening talk to you soon